Hans Zimmer got a little bit too Hans Zimmer. Come on, man. <laughs> Hans Zimmer. Yeah, by that I mean... Bwah, bwah, bwah. Yeah. Bwah. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby. And this week's movie is Blade Runner 2049, which I'm super psyched about. Um, But before we get into the movie, Frida. Wait, okay. So you are recording from a different location this week, which means that you have turned your camera off. So I feel like I'm just in every single Zoom presentation I've had to give this fucking year. Just staring at a black screen with your name on it. <laughs> yeah, and it, there might be um, traffic noises because the room that I'm in has got a lot of traffic noises. But hopefully once the curfew is in, people will go to their houses. <laughs> oh, do you have a time and curfew? And it gets quiet. Yeah, it's our curfew is around 8 o'clock and it's 8.12. So everyone who is outside driving past me right now is breaking <gasps> the law unless they are a police. I'm searching for all the people breaking the law. All police. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. We will round them up. Yeah, so uh, hopefully that'll quiet down. But if there are traffic noises, I apologize. Yeah. It'll just add to the ambiance, especially given the movie we're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. Um, and the internet is not as good as it is at home. So hoping for the best, hoping for the yes. best. <laughs> is there anything you want to bring up? Any sciencey world topics, things? What are you up to this week? Um, well, this week I'm reading a book about Mozart. and. Okay. Raph is being really cute because he's like, what, how old is Mozart now in the book? <laughs> I'm like, he's 13. And he's super interested because I don't know if you know this about Mozart, but he was really into fart jokes yeah, and just bums in general. And so the letters that he writes his sister are just so naughty. And my son finds them absolutely hilarious. I mean, they're so, they're so naughty. <laughs> Like he signs off, he's like, I hope you shit in your bed with a great sound. Like he said, oh, that's good God. His letters to his sister. He says like, I give mommy, um, I give mama a hundred kisses on her face and you a hundred kisses, a smack, you a hundred smacks on your ass or your horse face. Oh my God. Isn't it's it amazing? Is, well, isn't it amazing though? Like there's all these old, um, just old stories and old like historic people i was looking at something about tesla the other day and (laughs) actually i made a video about it because i had to rant about it because it was about how have you heard of like the magic healing frequency no apparently like tesla like there's this thing that people are connecting to tesla and it's tesla's magical healing frequency and it's basically like the frequency 396 hertz apparently has like healing properties and i'm just like going okay first off I don't believe that Tesla said any shit like this about magic healing frequencies. And secondly, even if he did, he was a fucking physicist and an engineer. Like, he dealt with electricity. (laughs) Are you going to listen to him? 
to heal your body. He wasn't a doctor. <laughs> he was a different type this of doctor. This isn't the first time Tesla... <laughs> Tesla's come up. Yeah, but come this up is the thing. His, but there is like random <laughs> shit. Then yeah, I mean, he came up when we were talking about the death ray thing about the fact that like he tried to convince people towards the end of his life that he had created the death ray and he was trying to get funding for it, but they like he wouldn't show his notes or his workings. He wouldn't show anyone his workings, and he wouldn't. Um, he didn't write anything down, and he didn't have an actual copy of it. But he was like, no, no, no. But I've I've made the death ray. And like, just because <laughs> someone is a brilliant genius in one way doesn't mean they're. They're like, you know, we we idealize all these people into thinking that they're Mm -hmm. like this kind of perfect depiction of decorum and propriety and sophistication. (laughs) Just like, nah, some of them were fucking mad. Some of them were dicks and some of them like fart jokes. Or actually, it's like it's it's like the more genius they are, the more insane they were likely to be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Okay, well, do you know what, okay. Frida? I'm going to go directly into the movie now because on that point, <laughs> the nice. reality of the world, uh, let's do a little quick summary for Blade Runner mm-hmm. 2049. So we are picking up 30 years after the events of Blade Runner 2019, which is, I guess, what I'll just refer to that movie throughout as the one that was made in 1982, Blade Runner 2019. So after the death of Tyrell at the hands of his own replicants, the company went bankrupt and new restrictions were placed on the creation of replicants. Wallace bought out the failing Tyrell Corp and set up a new company with new models of replicants, ones that will obey, ones that don't need an empathy test to track their status, just check for a serial number. Refined, empathetic, almost human and sent out into the world to obey. Until the trauma of their existence becomes too much. Their baseline is offset and it's time to retire. It's a structured system of creation and annihilation all under careful control. If one goes rogue, you send a Blade Runner after them. Problem solved. Even if you can't find them, they all have a finite lifespan. So the danger is limited. It's a system that works. As long as a replicant and human can be separated. Those lines must be clear to establish order. But what if replicant could be born? How do you define their humanity? Where do they fit in this society? Tasked with the job of retiring a miracle, Kay grapples with his own sense of identity and connection to the world. He was made to obey, but in that making there is also desire, empathy, loneliness, traits designed, memories implanted, all to make him as real as can be. But who gets to decide what it means to be real? Freedom. Very good. Thank you. Um, so, first thoughts on this movie, because you had not seen it before. Um, first thoughts. I love that it took its time. Yes. From the first shot and the way it, it, all the shots are long and it allows you to say... Come on in. Come on in. It, it holds the shots like longer than normal. And there's a calmness and a confidence to it that I really enjoyed for the first <laughs> two hours. Yeah. And I would say after about two hours, eight minutes, I was like, I think this is a natural concluding point for the movie. And then it went to all this like third act stuff. And um, I don't know if you want yeah details but 
I did get bored. I got bored okay. and I rolled my eyes a bit and I struggled to sort of blink and, and, and acknowledge, I know what I'm seeing is beautifully done, um, but I'm bored now. And so I, I watched it in two bits the first time. And then after I, I sort of said, I think I need to watch it again because I know it's very good, but, but I, I just wasn't left feeling uh, like a good um, feeling about it. So then I watched it again and it's sort of like, I, it's got so much incredible stuff happening, but it lost me a little bit. Okay. That's unfortunately. That's fair because, and I did think of that because I had forgotten the length, the running time. And even myself, when I sat down to rewatch it for my notes and I saw the running time again and I just went, oh, fuck. Mostly I went, oh, fuck, Frida's going to kill me. And then secondly, I was like myself. I was just like, oh, two hours 43, man. Like that's, I was like, I had other plans tonight. (laughs) I was like, shit. But to be honest with you, like this is one of my absolute favorite movies. And I sat down to rewatch it and I pulled some other stuff next to me because I was like, well, I've already seen it. So it's fine. I can just do some other work while, while it's on and I'm just taking my notes. And I didn't pick up a single thing. I sat there for the entire two hours, 43 minutes, and I didn't. The only times I removed my eyes from the screen was to write my notes. And every time I did that, I was like, I'm missing something. Um, mm. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I just, I didn't notice the length when I was watching. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Um, the first time I watched it, I actually did not write much down either because I was just watching it so the second time was also because shit I I haven't got a lot to say I better watch it again to get notes for the movie for the podcast (laughs) the thing that bugs me about this movie or um, at least the aura around the movie is and I was watching a lot of reviews and it was like there there was so much kept in secret about it spoilers spoilers Mm. spoilers don't ruin it don't ruin it and I really fucking hate that like plot twists, like it doesn't do a lot for me. I, I Some movies are the exception, right? Sixth Sense are being one of them. But like the movie is either great or not great. What's with the whole like shh, well, shh, don't give away the secrets. Obviously they were all going to come back. Obviously Rachel's going to return. Obviously there'd be Deckard. Like I was, at the old detective was there. Like none of this was a surprise. I, ex- I expected that. Like what's the big fuss? What, can't they just say... I think in this one we discuss replicants having babies. Like, what's the big deal? Because I, I think it's more when you are dealing with a topic, when you're dealing with a movie that already like that has an original, or not an original. That's not the right way to say it. Like, it's a the first, and this is a this is a very definite sequel. When you deal with something that is so well respected and well well regarded, like Blade Runner is a yeah. love to love to movie. And it's a loved mm-hmm. story. And I think as soon as you say you're going to make a sequel, you invite criticism immediately. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe the secrecy around it is as soon as little snippets start coming out about what's going to happen, all the criticism starts already. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can maintain yeah. that and if you can say, look, don't tell anyone what it's about. Let them see the complete picture and then let them critique it Mm, I kind of feel that's that's how I feel about it anyway because I do think like people have a lot of comments about certain things to this movie some things that I might agree with and some things that I don't agree with but I'm just glad that I saw it as a standalone in my own mind without having read anything or seen anything to do with it beforehand 
like without expectation do you know yeah it's like movies and then there's this meta aspects of the movie where it's like the things around the movie itself that um yeah can serve it as an advantage or a disadvantage but it puts a lot of pressure doesn't it yeah the thing that's the thing about this movie which is interesting is that Blade Runner I mean it's st- like at its time stood apart from every science fiction movie that had been made up until that point. It was completely different, right? right? Stylistically and also thematically, but the whole thing. After that, everything's just been copying Blade Runner. Yeah. So it is interesting to basically have them go, wait, wait, wait. If everyone's basically exploring our themes again and again and doing what we're doing, why can't we do what we did? So here's our, here's our one, like we're going to do it. And so, and better than all of you. And it really, and it really does. There are, there are parts of this movie, which really, really do harken back to a lot of what was amazing Mm. and like do that well without it being, um, without it being like um, nostalgic. It's just, it's just a continuation of that. It's really interesting that you say that because I had seen, I had read like a couple of, kind of reviews and heard a couple of listened to a few reviews as well and discussions on it with people with scientists and everything where they were critiquing it in terms of kind of going like oh you know we've already explored these themes in movies such as her and all this kind of stuff and I was Mm. going well yeah but this all comes from this movie there's no there's no her without Blade Runner yeah for me I feel like they took the story that was created in Philip K. Dick's book and then what Ridley Scott did with Blade Runner back in the 80s. And then they took those themes about the identity crisis and reality and they fucking expanded it out Mm -hmm. into just this huge, beautiful piece that I just think is stunning. And I'm just like, anyone who's like complaining about how, well, that's not really how robots would be. And we've already done this theme. It's like, shut up, just shut up and watch the movie. Shut up. Yeah, yeah, the movie, and also like the, the other thing about yeah, her. I, I know obviously there's a particular scene here mm. which everyone's like her, her, but yeah, her is not there without Blade Runner, and so they have they're they're within their right. Um, but this movie, it's just like so many movies these days cannot stand to just have the audience have to watch and be absorbed on their own they have to have a hundred edits a minute Mm. and music in your face the way this movie just goes this guy this place yes that has the guts to do that absolutely it's and, and that means it's long yeah exactly yeah all right so let's talk i just want to bring up the cinematography for a minute roger deacon because i want to yeah so just to say i just want to give a little bit of like stats Cinematography by Roger Deakins. His first movie was Cruel Passion in 1977. He has been the cinematographer on 62 feature films. Titles such as The Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, The Big Lebowski, No Country for Old Men, Doubt, Revolutionary Road, True Grit, Skyfall, Sicario. Crazy. He has done 12 Coen Brothers movies, 5 Sam Mendes movies, and three Denis Villeneuve movies. He has been nominated for an Academy Award 15 times. Blade Runner 2049 was his 59th movie, 14th Academy Award nomination, and first Academy Award win. 
Oh, he did win it. I didn't know whether he did yeah. or whether he didn't. Well, well deserved, I say. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely fucking beautiful. Great. So I just wanted to bring that up. Mm-hmm. But anyway, to get a bit more into what's actually happening in the movie, um, what is going on, who we're talking about. Now, one of the biggest problems we're going to have is we need to talk about the cast. Mm. And normally we might pick out one or two people that we want to talk about, but um, sweet mother of Jesus, this cast. (laughs) So I'm just going to list them. Well, no, look, let's just go one by one. All right. Ryan Gosling is Kay. Straight up. Oh, fuck. I mean... I don't know who's who who is responsible for it, but it, you just got such a clear sense of the guy. Yeah, I think it's Gosling. I think because you don't, I don't really think about it overly too much um, so when I'm watching movies. But there's sometimes when a character and you're just like, oh. But it just it lets him. They let him. You know, it's like yeah. the best one of the best examples of this was with Fraser when she, when he says. Oh, her. And she says, oh, yes, Rachel gave birth to a girl. And they, it just holds the shot. And you see his face fall. And it just holds yeah. it, holds it. And she says, oh, my God, you thought it was you. You did. You did. It holds it, holds it, there's, holds it. And there's just something about that shot where he looks like a small, vulnerable child. Mm-hmm. And your just heart just fucking smashes yeah. for it's him. It's so complex. It's so complex. Yeah. It's like that's... it's. His performance, his obviously it's the direction and also the cinematography that allows. It's so complex that I can't even explain what he's going through, but I feel it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, what one thing I just want to say about him as well is I just I do love the character of Kay. I love that like the way I love the way they played out the story that in reality Kay isn't anyone. He's not the hero. He's not the special one. He's a cog in the machine. And I just think there's something about showing that you don't have to be the chosen one to make a difference in that, like, that's the Mm -hmm. type of a character where they'd always just be kind of a side character. And it's like, no, it's his, it's very much his story. This isn't about Deckard. Mm -hmm. This isn't really about the child. It's about just Kay and his identity. And it's played beautifully. And part of what allows us to kind of feel like Kay has some form of identity is his connection to Joy, played by Anna de Armas. Mm. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's um, so engaging. And she's so beautifully expressive in comparison to his kind of mm. stoicism. Yeah, and you never quite know the truth about her. Yeah. Never sort of leaves... She is... Hanging She's in a bit of a question, mm-hmm. all right, that we'll come to. Yeah. Um, so, okay, Sylvia Hoax. I'm not sure how to pronounce her surname. Hoax. Sylvia Hoax is love. Mm. Perfection. Fucking stellar. Perfection. Oh, my God. Everything about her, her clothes, her face, <laughs> the way she walked, the way she screamed. That point where she's like, where is he? Uh, yes. Oh, um, Robin Wright as Lieutenant Joshi. Is it Joshy? Joshy, yeah. Yeah. Again, you never really know what's up with her either. <laughs> yeah, Not she's really. well, she to be fair, in the entire movie there are only two actual humans mm. and she's one of them. And not the greatest example yeah. of a human. No. Yeah, and not I think a perfect example. <laughs> yeah, you think a perfect example. Um Harrison Ford as Deckard, the return. Mm-hmm. Yeah the, yeah, the scenes between him and Ryan Gosling was like, that was so good. 
yeah. for a number of reasons, but just them together was just the the the, the, bit, the punch up scene when he's just punching him. Oh, it was great. It mirrored in a way like the beginning when he's punching up the guy right in the beginning and he says, please don't get up, by the way. Yeah. The best. Please don't get up. <laughs> yeah. And Harrison Ford is just like punching him and he's like, come on, like, I'm going to have yeah. to punch you again. All right. Uh, you know, the reluctance of it. What? What I love about the Deckard thing, and it's what I disagree with a lot of people who have a problem with the movie because they're like, oh, it pitched it as... Um, as Harrison Ford, as co-starring Harrison Ford, and he doesn't turn up until two hours in. And I'm like, that's what I fucking love about it. I love that the movie completely establishes it as an as a standalone movie. It's Ryan Gosling's movie. It's um, Sylvia Hoke's movie, Anna de Armas. And it's a continuation of the story. And it is it involves Deckard. But it's, they didn't just try to write a story that was a way of like, oh, how can we just make it all about Deckard again? Yeah, exactly. Do you know? And I just I just really, I really liked that. I thought it was great. I thought it was great that he didn't have too much involvement. Yeah, because he's old. And it's like, honestly, like his energy, <laughs> like it is Harrison Ford. I don't know. Like it, yeah. I, all these young people that are in the peak of their careers, I liked watching them. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Like, um, yeah, he's had speaking his of so yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of some of the younger ones, um, Jared Leto as Wallace. Okay, I'm saving that to the end of the okay episode. <laughs> <laughs> and so this brings us into the theme of this movie, which I think is a running theme from Philip K. Dick that I love very much, and it is mixing identity and reality. He creates these worlds where the character's identity is entwined with the society they exist in. If something disturbs that society or shifts in the reality of the world around that character, it results in an identity crisis and an exploration of what is real, what choices are your own. Now, we've seen this in our miniseries with Deckard and Rachel in Blade Runner 2019, Anderton in Minority Report, Quaid in Total Recall, David in the Adjustment Bureau and Arctur in A Scanner Darkly. Each character was placed in a position where they couldn't trust if their mind was their own or a design of the world around them. They lost the sense of what their reality was and so could no longer hold on to their identity. And this movie takes this classic Fildickian theme and runs with it all the way to the hills in a blissful way that has acted beautifully. This is not Deckard's story. This is not Anna's story. This isn't the story of a revolution. It's Kay's story as he struggles with his manufactured identity as KD6-3.7, a Nexus 9 replicant, and the individual identity he dreams of as Joe. The possibility that Pinocchio could be a real boy stirs something inside that sparks a desire to be more than a replica, to be the singular and unique, and the pain and the loss of that hope is agonising. As Fraser says, we all wish it was us. That's why we believe. Yeah, what do you think? brilliant. Yeah, I love that the the idea that it, you have to have a reality adjustment to find an identity where when in fact you can Yeah, you know it's like that the the fact that those things are intertwined is truly fascinating in this movie and the journey that he goes on to to find his own a personhood and that 
Yeah, it's mm. just a very interesting. Well, that was beautiful. I can't really add to that. So okay. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Because we're going to discuss these kinds of themes and topics anyway, because I, I like when we get into the science. So we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more there. So let's go into our tropes. Frida, what is your trope? I have two tropes this week. Okay. The first one is third act explosions. <laughs> Just mildly, you know, when you get to the third act and it's like, and it's the fights. That's my first one. Okay. How about you? No, give me your second. Oh, my yeah. second one? Meeting the underground. Ooh. It's the underground. People, you know, fighting <laughs> and they all come out from the darkness. All the soldiers. And it's like, yeah. this is the underground. <laughs> It's just, I thought the third act, as you can see, is like the tropes started to roll in with the third yeah. act, <laughs> which happens sometimes in the best of movies with the best of intentions. We're all vulnerable to tropes. Yeah, definitely. And there was a few. Yeah, there was a couple. That yeah, I kind of struggled with it a little bit um, in terms of trying to think of a trope, and then I didn't write one down, which is the second time I've ever done oh. this because I forgot. But I'm pretty sure the one that I was thinking of. <laughs> was um yeah it's just like sex robots yeah I, I i wasn't even really thinking about it in terms of joy i think it's just that one scene and that's the one where he met meets mariette and it's yeah it's just like they're all there because they're sex robots and yeah and you see in the background they're all like ah, yeah so <laughs> up against the glass and everything you're just like yeah of yeah, course yeah. classic obviously in any sci-fi future there will be a red light district full of sex robots yeah and they're all women as you said which isn't something i'd really thought too much about but definitely they are Mm. all women and you know what i just like just to add on um just to just on the whole idea of like the fact that they're all women the fact that they're um we just assume that's what sells with every single person that sees the movie right Mm. but it's also just like the way men want to look at women is not the same way that women want to look at women if they want to look at women so yes. that male gaze is not the same as the female gaze. And even if women do want to look at women, it's not in the same way men do. Yeah. And so it's so rare that we, that films shoot women in the way that the female females want to look at women. I just find that really fascinating. The female gaze, like what's that about? That's such the male an gaze is like topic. the curve of the ass, the top of the mm-hmm. butt when you just start to see the butt. Like it's all these very tropey. These are all that's men looking at women mm. how do women look at women i don't know well maybe we'll see we'll find a movie where, where, with the female gaze all right okay let's let's move on because i want to get into the science environment and in terms of the science environment i just kind of want to talk a little bit about the science like the science fiction environment how this whole like world building that happens in sci-fi and especially because we're this is post blade runner um but it's a continuation of that style and that story and there was something really kind of beautiful about it that I thought that they they tried to keep that world that was created by Ridley Scott in the 80s intact and so much of it like the whole Wallace interior is very 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 reminiscent of every scene with Tyrell in the original mm-hmm. yeah and the city mm-hmm. itself it was it was so similar to the original sit to the first version of the city that you would believe that like this is you know what 30 years on mm-hmm. 
Um, and then there's those scenes outside of the city, which is like the radiation zones. And we have the whole kind of like the lost city of Los Angeles, basically in this, in the fog mm. and San Diego is just a dump. Um, so yeah. So how do we feel in general, just about this whole world building and the, the overall style of this science fiction world? Mm-hmm. Well, as you, I don't know if you recall, but the Tyrell scenes from the original were my were my favorite sets. Yes, and this just up that and delivered. It was just stunning. I don't know what the water was, and I was like, sure, it's water everywhere, but didn't matter. I love the caustics. Mm. That's what those are called, shimmering on the roof. Um, we can science those one day. I don't. I don't need to research. That was my PhD. <laughs> um, um, and the whole thing of like the the. Um, the trashed future Los Angeles yes. like wow what was this future Los Angeles that has then been trashed like your imagination goes crazy <gasps> yes and yes it's sort of like at the holograms fake Frank Sinatra so it's like it's double it's like the future trashed loved it uh San Diego dumped totally but the city I really really loved it because I really felt this is real mm. I loved he was having the sushi, by the way. It was just kind of great little shot of his little um, a little sushi a lunchbox. <laughs> but it just felt like this is, yes, it didn't feel, yeah, I just, I, I could see that being our future. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Yeah. And what I like about it was I felt like that in the original Blade Runner as well. I keep saying original. Stop saying original. It's not a fucking remake. It's a continuation. Mm. It's a sequel. What is wrong with me? But this was like a future of that. So there was some sort of a bit more technology, a bit more, you know. But that's what I liked about it. it. Sort of, they didn't yeah, I change like that. it. They didn't like, oh, let's recreate the world. It? It's like, okay, no. that was what it was. Now let's advance that by 30 odd years. Yes. It's great. Yeah. And the fact that I felt like I see a, a, a co-collapse. Yes, that's going to happen. The trash. Yes, that's going to mm-hmm. happen. But I still like the fact that we might still be advancing even after the point of collapse that there'll be some new building and new advancements. And I don't know if it just didn't fill me with despair as much because I say humans will survive in a new world and rebuild in a new world, even though things will be different and rights will be different. But it gave me a weird sense of hope. Um, I get that. I get that in terms of like, because I think that was what I think... It was very specific in the radiation of Los Angeles. Um, people are using that scene in Los Angeles, the fact that Tekka is living there as like kind of, uh, they're basically saying, oh, he must be a replicant if he's living there because they've said it's a radiation zone. But the point of the scene of having the bees, the beehives, was to show that mm-hmm. the ecosystem is like stabilizing in that area. So it's not... Yeah, that, that was what yeah, I... Yeah, it's that radiation level is no longer there anymore and that's why he's using it as a good hideout place because it's just not a, an area mm. that people use. And I loved his hideout. It is my fucking dream. I loved his hideout. I've got millions of these, Johnny Walker. <laughs> Seriously, if I could just isolate myself off like that, no other people anywhere near me and just have that whole place to myself, that's my fucking dream. I've decided since our lockdown life that I don't I don't need to interact with humans. That you don't need people. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna be like, are you sure? Um, so there's one there's one other scene that I want to bring in in terms of like this environment because it's a 
fucking awesome throwback that I love so much. So do you remember in the first movie, he brings the snakeskin to just a random stall. Uh-huh. And she yeah, pulls yeah, out a yeah, microscope. Yeah, the... And we, we said when yeah. we were saying, who would we be in this society? And that's who you would be. Her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just love they just had such they basically just had a recreation of that scene but with the wood and he just rocks up to this Mm -hmm. guy and he's just there and he's got all his equipment and he can analyze the wood and i was just like this is a world where uh all the street vendors you know you've got your food you got your sex robots but you also got your street scientists and i just love it and i'm pretty sure that the actor that played that guy I, I kind of might need to verify this, but is that the guy from Captain Phillips? That's exactly what I was is thinking. That, I do not know. Is that know. the guy? Hold on one second. Barakad Abdi. Oh, did you find him already? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to look. Let's see. Come on. Yes! It is, yes, yeah. yes, yes, um, yes, we did it. Yeah, I, I was, immediately I was like, that's yeah. the guy, that's the guy. It's the guy. I just yes. liked it. And it's, yes. and it's such a beautiful scene as well because he's like, I can get you a real horse. Do you want a real horse? For this, I can get you a real horse. And that's just a nice little throwback to like the 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 book, the like the whole original story of the electric sheep and the fact that, you know, everyone desires to have a real animal because they're so rare and but everyone has electric animals because you can't, like it's so expensive to get a real animal. So I just liked that kind of thing. You know, it was just like like this, having this wood is so precious because it comes from a, something that was living that I can living. get you a living thing. I just mm. thought that was kind of cute. It's a great scene. It was a great scene, yeah. Because he's, he's so, he's great, very, very, um, very charismatic, that's the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, so shall we get into some scientists? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. So I'm bringing up Tyrell here. He's not in this movie, but because we did Blade Runner as a miniseries and also because everything is a continuation of the Tyrell story, I thought we should just mention it because Dr. Eldon Tyrell um, was the founder of Tyrell Corporation in Blade Runner 2019 and he is the original designer and manufacturer of the humanoid slaves and replicants. So I just thought, like, is there anything from the from the first Blade Runner movie that you wanted to kind of bring up about Tyrell that we didn't get to talk about in the miniseries? No. No. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, yeah. No. Well, I just like, because I, I do want to compare him to Wallace. Eldon Tyrell was the father of the replicants. And then Dr. Neander Wallace Jr. is a technologist and founder of Wallace Corporation. And he is the guy who buys out the Tyrell Corp after it went bankrupt after Tyrell's death. And makes the new models which are the nexus nines and these are the ones that are then designed to obey and there's just Mm -hmm. a difference here because tyrell seemed to have like a father kind of figure vibe around him like the the replicants were his children and wallace also refers to them as his children but there's a very big contrast between the care that tyrell seems to have wanted to put into them because he wanted to give them as much humanity as possible versus wallace and his god complex where Wallace is, he wants to like breed an army basically for his own kind of sake. Um, do you have any thoughts or feelings yeah. on all of this? I love that. I love how you made the distinction. Tyrell fancied himself a father figure. Mm. Wallace very clearly has populated nine worlds, needs more slaves. Yeah. 
But yeah, that is it. Uh, I do really enjoy as well that we never kind of know what's going on off off world with all of this and everything. That it's very kind of centered on this this specific area. That's just a random <laughs> comment I'm just making. Yeah, like um, a, another sequel. I thought maybe they were gonna. Get. I know. I kind of hope they don't though, because I feel like I don't need. Yeah. Like anymore. you can kind of in your own mind imagine where the story will go, and there's part of an enjoyment in that, and you can because it can go anywhere. If you just think, but if they make a sequel, then they decide what the next story is, and I'm like, nah. Um, okay, so do you have anything that you want to talk about Wallace here? Or do you want to, are we keeping him for the end? <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's talk science. Yeah. Hey, who? What? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Sorry, I banged my desk. I was so excited. So getting into the actual movie proper, Replicants. Now, they are a continuation of the society that existed in Blade Runner 2019, where the Replicants are used as slave... Uh, oh where the replicants are used as a slave labour workforce. The movie is deliberately ambiguous as to how they are created and what exactly they are, but my best guess is a synthetic humanoid body with an artificial consciousness. So rather than a rigid skeletal structure and a lot of internal wiring, as what we would think of as an android, they appear to have flesh and bone and can live and die as any human. What I can't quite work out is what they are made of or how they are made. Now, in our world, stem cell research is advancing and allowing researchers to grow simplified versions of human organs in the lab for study, with the hopes that in the future we can grow organs for transplants. So this suggests that a lab-grown human is not outside of the realms of possibility. There's a scene in the movie where a version of love is born and she's released from a suspended bag and is covered in some form of fluid. Mm Mm-hmm. What's interesting here is it's got some similarity to what's happening in the world now with what's called artificial gestation. And this is where we're talking about an artificial womb environment. And what's happening in research is premature lambs are protected, allowing them to continue to grow and develop in what they call this artificial womb. And it looks very similar to this bag in the movie. Like they're sealed into this bag that's connected to some other stuff outside to, I guess, like create this fake environment for them to keep growing. Um, It's called ectogenesis. Hmm. And it's very similar to premature babies in neonatal units being held in these like humidity cribs. But for these, for the human babies, it's partial ectogenesis. Mm hmm. Although the so the images of the lambs that you see being similar to stuff in the movie, researchers actually do fully, fully believe that they will be able to achieve full ectogenesis in the near future. Wow, um, wow. So the idea of, I guess, like in ter- especially in terms of like science and science fiction and stuff, the idea of being able to grow a human in a bag, considering what's happening in stem cell research and with this like ectogenesis um, or artificial gestation, the idea of growing a human outside of a, outside of a body is not really too bonkers but it's super sexist as well if you think about it because it's mm. basically taking this one like power that women have we have the power yeah. over who who gets into the world and being and, and taking it away <laughs> and i just always it's like this continuation of resenting the fact that women have the power to decide who comes into the world <laughs> i feel personally attacked kind of <laughs> It is. I do like so much as a personal attack, really, isn't it? I know. It's like for fuck's sake. That, that but can I just? How do you feel? Yeah. yeah. I just want to jump in that scene that you explained. 
Yeah. Because you just pointed to that scene and I love that. I, I don't love every second of yeah. that scene. But when she's released from the back, just like when you have Robin Wright's character plop on the on the office uh, table after she gets killed by love, just the plop of the body and her total yeah. agony in, in being brought into existence was so yes. good because a baby is born in just total protest, uh, are they not? They're protesting being uh. born into the world. They're just utterly furious at the fact that they've been interrupted. And it's funny because when you see that in a in an adult, her total agony at having been born is just so powerful. I really, really loved that. It's a beautiful scene, but in terms of like the this, as you said, like she's very clearly kind of born from this bag, bag and yeah. plopped into plopped. existence. <laughs> um, what do you think the replicants are? How like how would you wow. scientifically explain them? Do you know, um, it's a human, I guess. It's such advanced robotics. Yeah. It's made of organic tissue, which they've figured out how it needs to, how it self-sustains from food and sleep. I mean, it's a human, <laughs> is my thought. I've kind of gone, I've just come down on, they yes. are genetically engineered via synthetic DNA type thing or like stem cell growth. They're grown in an artificial gestation environment it must be at some sort of accelerated speed so that they come out as adults. And then they yeah. must use some advanced form of like neural implants to create this artificial brain and create consciousness and artificial yeah. intel- intelligence with like this memory implantation and all this kind of stuff to make them seem more human. So that's kind of where I'm kind of going. Yeah. Like I, I enjoy that the movie doesn't specify exactly how they are created. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I, that. I, I appreciate that as well. Obviously, we start as androids. Androids are mechanical and made of metal. And as we advance, they become more organic. And eventually, we can't tell the difference. And it keeps advancing yeah. until it becomes... They figure out how to make it self-sustain. And then, obviously, this is the, this is the moment. This is the... Um, the 2001, the moment of mm. evolutionary leap of reproduction. And then once that happens, it's sort of all bets are off. But you just imagine yeah. it's sort of the slow progression from androids until, until this, to this, somehow, in small, small advances. Exactly. In all of this growth and creation of these replicants, what Wallace has been unable to do is to create a replicant that has the ability to self-reproduce. Now, in terms of reality, there is like a whole field of research called reproductive biotechnology. But the thing is, scientifically, so much of what we relate to artificial reproduction is actually assisted human reproduction. And it's defined as like any procedure outside of the human body. Yeah. So in terms of like this movie, what we're actually talking about is can you artificially create and grow all of the reproductive organs that a female has in a functional way in a synthetic humanoid body that you would then be able to actually give birth to a replicant baby. I just find that kind of interesting because like I think so much of it was kind of thing especially with the bag and everything you think about the growing and the stem cell stuff and then like you brought it up in Patch Adams just about like the the disparity between women and and the things that get put on us because we have all of these extra fucking organs. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> God, what a slippery fucking subject. Because even as I said before, you know, taking it away from women and giving it to something artificial, then I, I realize the politics of what I've just said. Because so many women 
are unable to and have to go to sort of more artificial means and that does not make them any less of a woman um man it's fucking complicated it's hard to talk about i think there's there's so many ways where these kinds of things uh the intention is a good intention designed to assist and aid and help but there's always going to be that party that's like the wallace guys in the background where their intention is something different and and their intention is to yeah, yeah take it away and to, and to use it for their own kind of means and mm. exactly that kind yeah. of thing so it's just yeah i just thought it was just kind of an interesting thing that when when i was watching the movie i didn't really think about the complications of the difficulties that you might apply to the idea of being able to fully rep like be able mm. to fully lab grow an entire female reproductive yeah. system it's there's something that eludes humans in general mm. about the miracle of life i mean yeah the mystery of how this all begins and what is the exact combination of things that has to happen for for something to come into life and for that to be sustained eludes us mm. and that's can be very frustrating and painful and like i was ranting before about you know obviously having these parts that that's sort of separate but just the idea of wallace's frustration of he can't do this. And that's because it eludes us. You know, I mean, it's not only mm. the reproductive system and sinking with a certain time of the month. It's, that does not fully capture what are the perfect conditions which results in life being implanted and starting to grow. I mean, if we knew that, then no one, like if we knew that, then, then well, but yeah. we don't, we have no idea. And not only that, we don't even know what it is that triggers labor. We have no idea. Like what the fuck happens that the baby just starts to arrive. Like we have no, it's just this mystery. And I'm a person of science and I like that. I like Mm. there's something mysterious and tangible and spiritual. And even for Mm. Kay, Kay says, well, if you're born, there's something about being born that is just untangible and we cannot capture it with science and that's the mystery of life and and the fact that babies are born out of passion out of love and it's mystical and that's it's 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 okay for there to be a mystery that eludes us it's okay well that's really interesting actually because to go into then um uh, a philosophical discussion about what makes a person a person and it is kind of from that one of the lines that Kay has where he says to be born, I guess to be born means to have a soul. And when it comes to this whole concept of AI and these replicants, there's there's four kind of components to to how we perceive our world and w- whether we determine they are human or not human. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, um, does it have consciousness is it sentient? What does it perceive to be real? And is there the presence of a soul? And uh, Now there's actually a beautiful video essay that I've linked to in the show notes that explores Kay's journey as he searches for like inner humanity and I highly recommend it. I got a little bit emotional watching it but it's very lovely. I'll link it. Now in terms of reality I want to start with like what we perceive to be real. So Lieutenant Joshi says we, we're all just looking for something real. But how do we know what is real and what is artificial? 
because we first have to define what we mean by what real is. Mm. Um, Einstein said that reality is merely an illusion, albeit a persistent one. (laughs) Uh, And Philip K. Dick said that reality is that which, if you stop believing in it, does not go away. Um, In terms of dictionary definitions, we have the state or quality of having existence or substance. And then one that I enjoy is reality is the sum or aggregate of all that is real or existent within a system, as opposed to that which is only imaginary. And this pulls up questions for me in terms of in this movie, when we talk about Kay and his memories. So hashtag memory implant. (laughs) Basically, if we're saying that reality is basically anything that's not imaginary, Kay's memories, they're manufactured, they are imaginary, but they're real to him. Yes. This movie kind of does a a standard thing in terms of this concept of trying to trick them into believing they have humanity. Why do you think it is that we use memory as a way to distinguish what it is to be human? I can answer your question because I've thought about this a shit ton. (laughs) But it's because it's, it's what motivates us towards resolution. What it means to be a human, this is what it means. The pain of existence, the pain of living with your mistakes, the pain of living with trauma and the desire towards resolution is that's what motivates us. And okay. the more I thought about it and with the movie Moon and the thing which I kept not saying, the more I fucking recorded things about that was that the cruelty of giving somebody memories that are fake yes. and making them believe they are working towards a resolution. But in fact, it eludes them because it doesn't exist. Is basically giving somebody the cruelty of existence without any chance to ever resolve or triumph over their adversity. So... They basically turn you into a worker by motivating you through your background or whatever it is. So you're motivated, mm. but you'll never ever re- like come to that point of peace. You'll never come home. You'll never come home. Yeah. You'll never come to a point of saying, this is where I am. I can rest my head because this is, you know, my, I'm, you know, uh, any kind of feeling of resolution. So that's, that's my conclusion after thinking about this a lot yeah I really like that because I yeah I was like I was kind of struggling with this it was why why memory and I think you're so right that you can't your memory gives you something like what has happened in your past gives you your direction towards the future Mm -hmm. but exactly if your past belongs to somebody else then what is your future what possible future could Mm -hmm. you have and then it's interesting because, you know, it's interesting how the the replicants, they're given these memories to make them seem more human, but they know that they're not. They know that they're yeah, not their the memories. That's really, right? So what's interesting, this movie plays with a standard theme in robotics, which is actually called the Uncanny Valley. And basically it's that the more human a robot appears, the more empathy we have towards it. But once it appears like only almost human, as soon as there's something a little bit off about it, we show revulsion. So this is where they're kind of doing the memory thing by implanting the memories, allowing the replicants to feel themselves that they're human. It kind of allows us to have more empathy towards the replicants. 
and they do it really well with Rachel in the original in in that like that's why she's harder to tell apart than anyone else with a Voigtkamp test because she thinks she's real mm-hmm. so her responses are more genuine but yeah. then if that means that her responses are more genuine then does not does that not like kind of inject her with humanity of course it does because humanity is just the result of being alive with senses mm. i mean it emerges in your life and the thing about you know the line that they talk about between human and android is so artificial because we can all be android we can all be like androids feel yes. nothing do feel nothing not try to resolve not care we have the capacity to be Android. The way Kay was acting, he was just acting like the way he felt he was supposed to act as an Android. Plenty of humans are like that for various reasons. Hmm. You know, what is really the difference between him and Joshi? Is that really your name? Fuck. But yeah, like, well, yeah. what's the and difference? The, the difference, as they, they seem to establish in that scene, is the lack of a soul. Because she's like, oh, you seem to be doing fine without a soul. So then that mm-hmm. brings up this idea, like, what what is a soul? Yes. So I, right, dictionary definition of a soul. Number one, the spiritual or immaterial part of a human being or animal regarded as immortal. Right, that, fuck that shit. Number two, emotional or intellectual energy or intensity, especially as revealed in a work of art or an artistic performance. Soul, that's that soul. Yeah, which I was like, well, then can we class the replicants as pieces of art? They've been crafted Mm -mm. and in that crafting, they've Mm -mm. been imbued with a soul. That's not my position, Abby. (laughs) What is a soul or what is the spirit is the better question. Mm. There is a property that we have which emerges throughout sort of your existence as you exist a property emerges which is not the body and it's not the mind it's not psychological or mental and it's not physical it's spiritual there is spiritual wounds you can have that or psychic wounds or spiritual wounds that are not quite psychological and not quite mental and not physical definitely not but are of the spirit spiritually you can be wounded and i think that so and i think that that is the soul and you can be religious and you can call it something you're given when you're born but what i believe it emerges as a it's an emergent property of being in existence right that's i got that from air but then does that does that does that say that if you are in existence and well, does yeah. So does that mean if you are in existence, you you have the capacity to have a soul? Yes, I think no matter it, yes. how that existence comes about. Yes. So Kay has a soul. He has a spirit. A soul. Yeah. What's a soul? I mean, everyone argues, yeah. like you said. Um, if you don't believe in the soul, as in Hebrews, it's called the neshama, that there's a literal, you know, fire inside you. But I, I like to think the spirit. There is something about us that's spiritual. And Mm. I don't, I'm not talking about the Holy Ghost and I'm not talking about there being something outside of us that's spiritual. I'm talking about inside of us. There's something that's not tangible. 
that is our spirit and I believe it emerges through being alive conscious feeling seeing knowing touching existing experiencing Mm. things that there is another side to us which is spiritual and yes I think Kay just like any other being lives in the world has trauma sees things he likes eventually has feelings of love Wally 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 falls in love Wally yeah. It goes from like, passion, love. I don't know. These things come out. They emerge from your deep interest in something, from attachment mm. to something. You can manuf- manufacture attachment. Like you have kids that grow up in orphanages who are deeply traumatized and have attachment problems. You can teach them attachment or teach these qualities that we take for yeah. granted as humans uh, you know people can become an android through you know android like through terrible trauma and be taught these you know to become a bit more human as it were so i just think it's it's a consequence of being uh, being alive and being brought into existence and i do believe the joy or any any in any intelligence i think well i think you have to have senses maybe it's important part is having mm. senses to experience things but that I find it interesting in the movie that there's this funny hierarchy of like what's real, right? Humans, androids, and then of course it's not embodied androids. It's like if you're embodied, then you're more than the not embodied. You know, it's funny how they sort of do this funny hierarchy to one. They can't have compassion to each other. But yes, I believe that if you exist with a body and you are conscious over time, conscience, conscious, over time you will... So, so that's an interesting thing then to bring into because then we come into consciousness and sentience. Yes. Because if we have an artificial being that can perceive memories as real and if we say that they have the capacity to have like a spirit or a soul or whatever we want to call it, then the other questions come to are they conscious and are they sentient? Mm-hmm. And the thing is consciousness and sentience gets, um, they get used interchangeably but they are actually two different topics. Now, consciousness is being aware of yourself and your surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. But while we all know what it feels like to be conscious, we don't actually have a way scientifically of explaining where that awareness comes from. Mm-hmm. When it comes to AI research, it's referred to as the hard problem because we do not know what consciousness is. yeah consciousness it's being awake no like it's being awake and aware that you're awake where you are where you well but that's the thing is like we know we and that's why i think it's one of the things in terms of a distinction for ai because we know what it is to be conscious but to how do you give somebody consciousness or how do you give ai consciousness because it's not a, it's not a thing like they like the way they described it is like there's no there's no neuroscientist or um like computer like not a computer scientist but there's no medical scientist that can point to anything in any brain scan or in or anything medically or anything in research mm. to be able to state that's what consciousness is so turn that on mm. on the ai <laughs> yeah yeah i think that it becomes like we can't exactly say what's what and where the lines are, but um, like, are people's it, it, are people worthy of the same rights? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it comes yeah. down to questions of consciousness, and and then animals. If we don't know that they are, because we don't know their language, 
mm-hmm. is it then our right to assume that they don't have existential feelings? What? Well, then, then we're getting into sentience because well, sentience is consciousness is just the aware of yourself and surroundings, and then sentience is the capacity for subjective perceptions, feelings, and experience. Yeah. So it's the quality of being able to experience mm. feelings. Um, and then that kind of brings us into so I do I want to I want to take these topics I want to talk about the 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 characters in the movie for a second yes but specifically let's pull out joy for a minute yeah because in taking this idea of consciousness and sentience and then looking at joy do we think joy is conscious do we think that she is sentient that is such a mystery question in the movie um I I don't know. I think it's like, does it matter? I think, I think, it, does it matter where she, whether she was or whether she wasn't? Is the point that while wow, we really like to draw arbitrary lines and then shit on people on the other side of the line, the fact that love felt like whether she was or whether she wasn't in her belief, destroying something that was real or not real, is irrelevant to the fact that that thing didn't want to be destroyed and its owner didn't want it to be destroyed. And so that was an act of cruelty mm. objectively. So that's, yeah. that's, that's sort of my one interesting thing from the movie that I was like, it doesn't matter. You don't, it's hard. Well, do you get to, do you get to say? Yeah. This is the reason why I wanted to separate out joy because I actually have a very definite opinion on joy. Okay. And I very, very definitely feel that um, she is a highly sophisticated artificial intelligence and she is not conscious or sentient. Because she is a product. So are they. Joy, as an artificial intelligence, is a specific product that is programmed to find out what you need and give you exactly that. So everything that Joy embodies, to me is not an individual being is not um is not anything that is joy as a personality everything that she does is an external manifestation of who k is and what k wants right her touch of love and kindness is a manipulation of the consumer into like it's everything that she is giving is like designed by the company to manipulate the consumer into believing that she is real and they are getting what they want from the product but his loneliness is so palpable to me at times that her existence shows us that that's what his loneliness is her existence shows us that he wants to be a real boy he wants humanity he wants this he wants to come home to the wife who is cooking him dinner he wants to hold her in the rain he this is what he desires and she gives him exactly what it is that he desires in the most fundamental way when she gives him a name yeah it's interesting and also the fact that the things that he wants are these very marketable things it's almost like mm. the things that he wants are the things that he's been told are the answers to what he seeks. A woman to cook you a hot meal and come home and say, was a day, hmm? Like, it's very marketable. Mm. It's interesting. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't fill his emptiness. 
But don't no. you think? Yeah, Abby, exactly. Don't you think in the universe of the movie anyway that the AI that's the next frontier? Because it's because it's the humans spawned the androids. The androids are now fighting mm-hmm. for their independence. Don't you think that the AI are next? That's the next movement yeah. of civil rights or whatever. Well, maybe. But that's the thing. I think Joy is such a tricky character because all the way throughout the movie, they show you how she is like, that's what her specific programming is to give you what you want. So because of that, she will learn from like the person who owns her Mm -hmm. to how to behave and how to present herself. And that's very sophisticated AI. But does that mean that she has individual freedom of choice? No. You know, no. does that mean that she is deciding I want to be like this? So that's what the next thing would be is like if AI were like, well, I don't want to give the consumer what he wants. I want to be this person instead. Yeah. Then maybe she has her independence. But within this story, I feel like when we're talking about consciousness and sentience and this kind of the spirit and all of this, for me, it seems very, very clear that the replicants have all of these mm. It's having a body. It's to be embodied. Mm. I believe it's to have the intelligence embodied, which is the key to the spirit emerging because it's through the way that you feel and interact with the world, your sentience, and it's what your conscious consciousness emerges and then eventually your spirituality or your soul emerges from that as well. Yeah. Probably. I think it's embodiment, which is the key. And it's funny that I mean, the Peter and the Wolf, now that I say this, it's like the Peter and the Wolf is like, Joy is amazing, but don't forget she's a child of institution. Mm. The Peter and the Wolf theme is what plays every time that turns Joy on. For Peter and the Wolf, Peter's theme. P- Peter, yes, is optimistic, he's joyful. He's the he's the positive sound in the entire in the in the whole ballet or whatever it is is Peter, but Peter is a Soviet pioneer. He's the perfect example of a Soviet child. So although, you know, this is artificial, this this joy and this positivity is completely constructed as an ideal, right? Which is right. forced upon people. And it's like maybe that's the, the thing with the Peter and the Wolf theme with joy. It's like it's an ideal. It's been constructed. It's forced on you as what you believe you're supposed to want and is the key to your happiness. A bit too cheery kind of thing yeah interesting interesting yeah it is there's there's some there's an eeriness to it when it plays especially like in the contrast to everything else is kind of around them when that when that tune plays there is a kind of like oh well here comes joy <laughs> it's good it's very interesting <laughs> it's such an interesting the movie just brings up all these really interesting questions in general of like how we what we feel about artificial intelligence what we feel about synthetic like the idea of synthetic humans and you know if it if it lives and breathes and eats and bleeds but it's using a computer to think does that mean that it doesn't have the capacity for what we deem humanity Mm. to be and Mm. does that mean that they're just like a slave instead of being able to have their own individuality make their own choices and while their memories might be implanted and false could they not make new memories mm-hmm. of themselves? And and as you said, there's so many examples in humans themselves of certain behaviors that you could almost just kind of go, well, who's the replicant here? 100%. 100%. Did you do the replicant test? No. 
Oh, you didn't. Okay, that's fine. There's a B- BFI maiden. Are you a replicant test? I'll put it in the show notes. I am 32% replicant. <laughs> FYI. What a good lesson. It made me think as we were talking, like, when a baby is born, they're, I said, they're a plant. They're a house plant that is very hard to take yeah. care of. But they do not have any sense of their own existence. I mean, like, it, it's funny when it dawns on a baby that they exist. It's like you see it very slowly happening that they go, is this my hand? Like, is this attached to me? It takes so long for them to be like, mm. I think this thing is me. But like, they don't have any sense of it. You see, as a consequence of, and, and but we treasure them because that's our perception. That's our choice right. to treasure. Babies weren't always treasured, but now we, we do treasure them. And we see as they mature into their own consciousness because they have a body. And I do believe that over time, maybe not in the beginning when they created the androids, but eventually the experience of having a body in the world, you come into your own consciousness and eventually become imbued with the spirituality. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I'm like, surely you could say that something like that could be could be um, generated in something artificial mm. to a certain point, maybe. Interesting. It brings us into the discussion, actually, which is what I want to end on, which is just a simple question. Frida, what is Anna? Uh, human. Fuck. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> fuck doesn't matter do you know what she is doesn't matter she has a right to exist doesn't matter yeah she has more right to exist than a lot of fucking human beings that are alive and allowed to live she's a representation of the fact that what we use as our metric for humanity and this idea is false that all, yeah, all the way throughout history, we have shown time and time and time again that our focus on our definition of who has a right to live and who has a right to survive is dependent on who is the one in power. In power. Well said, sir. Yes. Who wants to remain on top? It's like an allegory for the whole like white male power. It's like we dictate all of these things because we want to maintain the structure of power that we've held for so long so we warp reality around yeah. that yes fuck that is so well said okay well then we'll leave it right there <laughs> let's get out of here quick <laughs> there's just one small thing that i forgot i yeah. didn't have any place to say i just love when Mackenzie davis's character whatever it is refers to her like oh um, to you know, sees joy dun, 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 and says, "Oh, you don't like real girls." And I just love that she calls herself a real girl. Yes. I just think that says quite a lot, and we all draw the lines. And like you said, whatever whatever benefits us, we'll put the mm. line there. And yeah, it's 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 all yeah, about compassion. It's all about I don't know. We just we, we want to have limits to who we have compassion for for some weird fucking reason because it threatens us. Yeah, exactly. Wow, what an interesting conversation. Okay. Let's decompress mm-hmm. and do a what the fuck moment. 
What is your what the fuck? So first I was like when he stabs the born replicant. He says, I can only make mm. so much. And then he willy-nilly kills her. And then again later on, shoot they shoot the replicant in the head. When, when His issue is he can't make enough. He's made it. Yes, they can't. Right. Just they're perfect. Why are you killing them? But then I was like, actually, the whole world is what the fuck. He's, there, <laughs> he's got these two scenes and they're like, I know he's blind, but why does he talk like that? Well, not it's it, it but, but he talks again as another person that talks like the Thermians from Galaxy Quest. <laughs> Why does he talk like that? <laughs> but it's like the first scene was bad enough when he was like, "I am the weird, rich, crazy guy in this movie that the movie <laughs> does not need because love is motivated enough without me." Okay, fine, and um. But I guess, you know, big corporation. But then the movie kind of goes on and then you meet the underground and it's like, I guess we need something to make Kay go, I'm going to save somebody that's worth, that's the most human thing you can do is die to save somebody. So it gives him the motivation to, he has someone to rescue. And I get that. He needs to rescue Deckard. And if it wasn't for, mm. you know, Tyrell Corporation or Wallace Corporation, he wouldn't have someone to rescue at the end and have that wonderful death scene, which was just better than even the first movie. But that scene where you're like, you get the underground, you're like, amazing. You get these cuts and you flashes where you realize who the girl is. Amazing. You get this beautiful scene where he just, it's just beautiful where he's like, I thought I was real and I'm not. Oh, amazing. Then you cut to a fucking yeah. Wallace. And what's he like? <laughs> Don't you realize it was all planned? You didn't just fall in love with her on accident. Um, it was all planned. And I was like, fuck it was. Don't do this to us. Don't fuck with the original movie. Oh, it was all a plan. I was like, yeah, get fucked out of my screen. So. <laughs> it's so true. It's Thank so you. true. <laughs> and it's so fucking Jared Leto, isn't it? Jared Leto, I know. Come in and be all eerie and creepy. Can't be normal. <laughs> He wants to win that Oscar. <laughs> I, uh, just, just it wasn't his movie, mate. <laughs> his stay into the film. Uh, I kind of got it. Like I, I, I enjoyed his character um, because I kind of felt like I enjoyed being able to make a contrast to the motivations of Tyrell in comparison to the contrast, like in the motivations of Wallace, kind of thing. But yeah, I, I'm glad there wasn't any more of him. <laughs> Two scenes, but my what the fuck yeah, relates to him though because it's my it's just that simple thing that's like why does he have to be taken off world to be tortured? We will such get... a weird little fucking I thing. It, it, it's I, I, that's what I mean. The third act was so third acty. I was like, here we fucking mm. here we go. Yeah, yeah. He was like, you we would get it out of you. You did not know what pain is. And it's like, and then he's going off to be tortured. It's like, yeah, what the, what were they thinking? Yeah, that what was just such thinking? a weird, it, like they needed that... to get him in the air so that Kay could come and rescue him. But yes. I felt like, did it need to be like that stupid line of, I've got all the tools I have to torture you off world. It needs to be what? your sperm and your sperm alone. We must recreate the moment. It just got really weird and creepy because they were like, here's yeah. Rachel. Would you like to have sex with her? And 
um because it must it's like what's going on here and then yeah like we will torture you for what uh, where the kid is they want the kid i guess at that point they have to torture you yeah. off world like what i know so it's so you can have this cool flying scene and so that there can be like that crazy fight scene but wow i wish they did it differently and yeah, I don't know what to say. I just, I just was yeah, sad at that point because I didn't realize the credits was going to yeah. be fifteen minutes long. So I was like, "Geez, I have forty-five minutes left." It was like a fifteen-minute-long credit, so you know, it wasn't truly yeah. two hours and forty-five minutes. But shit, man, why did they? <laughs> they really fucked it. It's, it could have been like great forever, and I don't think it'll be great forever because because of that. Oh, I think it will. You reckon? Yeah, 28 days it's... later has survived as great even though it has a third act fuck fuck face mm. so yeah see sunshine no as well. i think i think yeah. it's got it i think it's okay we will see abby we, we will, will. <laughs> reconvene in 10 years <laughs> okay so final verdicts i'm okay. very very excited about this first one did the movie pass the sam's test I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm going to all the you're characters. thinking? Of course it did. So so I'm definitely Robin Wright's character 100% passes. Um, who else is there? Joy does. It couldn't be played by a thing. The prostitute couldn't be a thing. Love, 100%. Love is, could could be anybody. Yeah, I would say it fucking, yes. Most of them were women. Uh, and then, oh yeah, and then you had Fraser. And yeah. Like, yeah. Fraser. Anna. Anna. Daughter. Yeah. And in reality, none of them were there in service of Kay. They were all there in service of Anna. We just didn't really know it. And of their race. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Like they will present her as their leader eventually just to make their point. But I mean, they're all there for themselves. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I, just, I loved it. I thought it was congrats great. Congrats to us. Great, great, great women, women cast, female movie mm. character thing stuff. Right. Um, did it pass? Here comes the science. It did it not. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say yes because yeah. I think it's it didn't offend. I think us. it's raised it. I think it raised a lot of genuine questions that there are for the future and the future of AI and how we mm. how we produce it, why we would produce AI why we would want to create like synthetic humans and workforces and things like that and what yeah. rights they would have and what we classify as what it is to be to be a being that has rights so mm-hmm. yeah i love it i love yeah, it as, yeah. um, i, I as think a, that's it's, it's contemporary very contemporary issues <laughs> mm. all right um, what is your final verdict how many Base- replicants yeah, like I think on the basis of what we're doing with this podcast, it deserves a high score. And then on the basis of my experience, obviously minus, you know, the third act bullshit, like even though even with that, it was still beautiful, all the scenes, even the extra scenes where Wallace was talking off his face and narrative wise, it didn't make a loads of sense. It was still beautiful, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Still stunning. Yeah. And so I have to give it a four. I have to take off a point just because... That really, like, I, I, do you know, that was fucked, but I, you you can't, I can't go less than four. uh, It just doesn't make sense because it's just gorgeous. Yeah. What about you? (laughs) 
Uh, five big juicy replicants. Beautiful. Well done. Great. I love this fucking movie. Great. So yeah, yeah I gotta give it. I gotta give it top marks. I don't think it's as good as the yeah. original. I think the original is really something. Hmm. It's just so rich. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, cool. that's Blade Runner. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. We did it. I'm very excited. Yeah, we. I'm did just it. really happy. I wanted to do it for a while, and I'm really glad that we did it close to the when we yeah, did the Philip K. Dick I, I, series. I'm glad so too. like it's, yeah. So we are now going to be on a break for a couple of weeks. Um, in a few weeks' time, we'll put out an extended version of Independence Day, which I'm pretty sure has a bit in it where I try to um, read your mind. So yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> Early days, Frida and Abby trying to yeah. out. Classic. Uh, but after our break, when we shall return, Frida, what will be kicking off our next cycle? You'll be shocked at my next choice because it's time it's my turn to do a space movie my space movie <laughs> it's free to space movie time and the movie i've chosen is apollo 13 and my hope is i won't is have to do be... that much it's my yes i know what you're gonna ask yes it's my space therapy and no, no, I, I was going to say, yeah. is this the Danny Boyle thing? Like, you know, the way Danny, Danny Boyle said that um, he was told that a director only goes into space once. And he did Sunshine <laughs> and he'll never do another space movie. <laughs> so is, who's, this, is this your, your Danny this Boyle This is my moment? space movie. I do it once. Well, I'm hoping that I'll build off all the, st- all the hard work that you did in space movies and just be able to appropriate your work <laughs> for this one. That's my hope that I'll be like... And this is from that other time that Abby said this bit. And that's from the other time that Abby said that bit. So that I won't have to do that much work. Plus I get to do space therapy. But I love, I love this movie and I'm really in the mood for a comfort, nostalgic watch. Excellent. And a good no, space that's cry. Be good. Yeah. Well, this is great. We'll culminate everything that we did. And then the next culminate. space movie I pick will be something completely fucking random that we've never done before. And we'll start right. you off all again. <laughs> Brilliant. We're coming back from the break with that. Woo. Fantastic. All right. So, yeah. So, like I said, we're off for a couple of weeks. Um, so join us in a couple of weeks time for our Independence Day Extended. And then we'll be back with a brand new cycle, which is kicking off with Apollo 13. Oh, and we also have a new mini series that is all about zombies. So um, it's very Frida-tastic. Woohoo! <laughs> zombies is my jam. Zombies yeah. is my jam. <laughs> please do uh, drop us a rating if you can get a chance to and subscribe to the podcast whatever you are listening on thank you so much for listening if you do want to get in contact with us if you have answers to our questions or comments please do email us on science at the movies at gmail.com or you can catch us on instagram at science at the movies i'm not even going to say twitter anymore because i can't remember the last time we fucking used it what's twitter <laughs> okay bye okay bye <laughs>